Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality Channel. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. Uh, this week, we'll be talking about three brand new things that we want to recommend to you. Our main topic for the month is uh, Fleabag, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's um, tragedy comic masterpiece. Uh, obviously based on a one-woman show that she held uh, in 2013, it has since been adapted into uh, two phenomenal phenomenal seasons, critically acclaimed seasons, uh, that uh, aired in 2016 and in 2018, or was it 2019, I believe? Yeah. Um, anyways, it's been a while since we saw Fleabag, the TV show, but yep. I thought that now would be a really, really good time to revisit Fleabag because, you know, not only is it uh, what is, in my opinion, uh, a phenomenal dramedy and an almost perfect show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge also recently released the stage version of it. Uh, the play, as I mentioned, was based on the 2013 play. Uh, up online, uh, it was recorded in London uh, and it's available on various streaming platforms uh, in the UK and everywhere else. Uh, in North America, it's available by something called Soho Theatre. But for the rest of the world, it's also available on Amazon Prime. So if you would like to watch it, and I'm going to be talking about it after we talk about the TV show. If you like to watch it, uh, please buy it. And, mm-hmm. and the money goes to COVID-19 charity. So it's also for a good cause. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and also, we are also going to be recommending a, a Netflix documentary, a docu-series, should I say, called Cheer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually become a bit of a phenomenon since it uh, debuted earlier this year on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> and um, I think me, me and our former journal quality focus, uh, podcast co-host, Hardy, actually watched this together. We became so obsessed with it. <laughs> a lot of emotional investment in it. Uh, and then uh, Isa also recommended to me, um, a fin- like, probably... Frankly, the best enemy I've ever seen in my life, called Shishi. <laughs> uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll get into why as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, start off with uh, Fleabag. And... Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll kick off with the TV show first because I think it's the most popular iteration. Uh, and then we'll talk about the stage version. And maybe I'll, I'll delve a little bit into how it differs uh, from, from the TV version because it's shockingly different it's very different oh wow okay uh yeah um anyways well at, at least in terms of presentation but of course let, let's begin with the tv show uh phoebe waller bridges fleabag uh is basically it's hard to describe but uh <laughs> but waller bridge stars as the eponymous fleabag uh you don't actually know the character's name uh she is a free-spirited and and sexually active but angry and confused young woman living in london it also stars uh cn clifford as uh, her sister and olivia coleman uh oscar winner olivia, olivia coleman, coleman yes. uh, as a godmother um in the second season andrew scott which many of you may know as moriarty from sherlock uh is now though more famously known as hot priest hot uh priest. from from feedback season two. Uh, so a lot of big uh, big name actors and characters here. Um, the title character, it's the most defining feature of, of the show is that she frequently breaks the fourth wall to provide exposition, internal monologues, and a running commentary to the audience to, to um, some very humorous uh, results. So... Um, you didn't watch Fleabag as it was airing, right? Because I, no. I was, I was, I was actually like watching it week to week, uh, and then I waited two years, and then I watched it week to week again. So, um, as a kind of a semi newcomer to uh, what Fleabag's all about, uh, uh-huh. let's let's start with your opinions first. Um, okay. So, I mean, like you, I remember you talking about Fleabag. I think especially when the second season uh, mm. came on and then telling me about that, but it kind of flew under the radar for me. I didn't, I didn't really like. Um, go and check it out and anything like that. So when we were discussing that, I obviously went to 
Um, check it out. Okay, so in 2019, when season two came out, I started on season one. I only made it, uh, well, most of the way through, I, I think. And mm. then I dropped it off, I think, because we were watching a lot of other stuff for that particular month. So I only revisited it recently. And mm. I think, like, it's it's very bingeable. Um, yeah. It's really, really very bingeable. Uh, I, I think, like, I basically finished it in the span of maybe three days, I think. Just, like, I mean, watching everything back to back. Uh, six and episodes, half hour each. You can actually watch it in, in a day if you actually yeah. dedicate it. If you had mm. nothing else to do in your life. You know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, it was very, very easy to to do that. I think, like, uh, what Phoebe Waller-Bridge has kind of done uh, with this is a very kind of easy... Um, introduction into a character that you get very invested in very quickly, right? Mm -hmm. uh, into her story and what she's about and what she's like. And of course, as we go along, there are a lot of reviews along the way that you may or may not see coming depending on how you're reading the characters. Mm -hmm. uh, and that in and of itself like makes it for a very compelling watch. I mean, in this day and age, there aren't that many like TV shows that we are forced to watch, um, you know, a week to week. Uh, mm. anymore so I think my experience is probably a little bit different from yours having to have to wait through all of that because for me like any sort of like ending because every episode kind of ends on a very interest in an interesting place in the story right mm -hmm. like the payoff for that the next episode is a couple of seconds for me right uh, as mm. for you you having to wait and all of that we uh, do, yeah. uh, I'm sure it was a very different because you have a bit more time to kind of mull over things. I mean, it's no Westworld uh, season one or two where you have to kind of like, you know, try and figure things out and there's major kind of discussions for that. But like, there's mm -hmm. a lot of emotional tension between one episode to the, to the next, the start of the next episode, right? Mm -hmm. um, so for me, like, it was an easy watch, right? There was nothing kind of like, uh, you know, um, there, there was no kind of like, oh, you know, you know, I need a, a break from this or Oh, I think some very human drama, some very yep. human flaws involved. I, I don't think she shies away from like just kind of like the train wreck that is her life, especially in season one. Mm -hmm. Um, and how that actually unfolds. It's hard to look away mm -hmm. uh from that, right? And I think the whole idea of her constantly breaking the fourth wall has its own kind of charm. And I think they lean even more into that in season two. So much that mm -hmm. so she gets called out for it, right? Um yep. And I, I love it. I, I think it got to a point whereby it's so natural for her whenever she looks to the camera to address the audience in the midst of conversation with other characters or in the midst of like kind of an in-situ uh, moment um, where I, I come to expect that, right? And even there are moments where I, I expect her to do it and she doesn't. I'm just like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of like a standout feature for me. The little asides are the most humorous and the most kind of dramatic portions of that, mm -hmm. and like no matter what's going on on screen, she always finds a moment to break that. Um, but at the same tension, time, you, yeah, yeah the, break the tension. But at the same time, you are still very aware that she is placed in that situation at that moment, and mm -hmm. that to me felt very. Uh, uh, I, I enjoyed it like thoroughly. It's a very different kind of fourth wall breaking from say like Deadpool, right? Which mm. we are we also have come to expect. Mm -hmm. um, the way that she addresses the audience and we're all in on these like kind of little side jokes along the way and her opinions about these things and the way that she kind of foreshadows stuff with that as yep. well um, makes it a very charming sort of character. Like we are along for the ride in a very different perspective than we would if we didn't have her breaking the fourth wall. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, there is a, like it, it's a very clever and, and very funny show, obviously, but there is a certain like viciousness and darkness and jaggedness to the character yeah. and to the humor, mm-hmm. uh, which allows you to have like, some touching moments and some wildly inventive moments of comedy uh, about a, a very complicated young woman navigating the aftermath of trauma yeah. uh, and, self, and self-loathing. And I think the one thing that stood out to me, I think in 2016, when I first watched it, was that uh, we had come to... At, the, at that point in, in the history of TV, la, there had been a lot of uh, messy male characters yeah. that indul- indulged in their unlikability, uh, in their darkness, in their messiness, in their self-loathing and things like that. I mean, Bojack Horseman and the, the myriad of other characters like Bojack Horseman is out there. Yep. But um, portrayal of messy female characters has been uh, almost unheard of or incredibly rare. Or if there is, I... Up until Fleabag, I haven't seen it done this that well at least. Uh, mm, because agreed. I think Fleabag was one of the first instances where I noticed that uh, a female character didn't need to be the domesticated uh, punching bag of, mm-hmm. uh, of a male character, didn't need to be the girlfriend or love interest, or didn't need to be the strong, flawless woman that yeah. you see in, say... Um, Marvel uh, superhero shows and or things like that, right? Yeah, she is she is very real. There is a realness to her pain and suffering, and self loathing and her self destructiveness that almost makes her unlikable. Yeah, but um, Waller Bridge has almost superhuman charisma and <laughs> and, and and an infinite well of facial expressions that you know she gives you like she she always, she's letting you into her world and that makes it so much more. Um, immersive, uh, and, mm. and I feel like it's and and I really really like the humor. It's it's almost precision oh, black yeah. humor, yeah. Uh, and and it's very warped and and affecting uh, about a, a tale about a single woman's existence. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, scathingly funny. I mean, I, I I really really like that. Uh. Um, with regards to season one, right? Um, yeah. I thought that it was so perfect that the announcement of season two had me very worried because. Huh. Um, I thought it was a perfect uh, miniseries. You yeah. Know? Like, uh, it should have ended there. It told a very perfect, compelling story that was funny. Um, there's no way you could be better at it. Uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, season two comes along and then, you know, proves me completely wrong. And I think yeah. mo- most fans completely wrong. I, I think there was, like, I-, I obviously came along in season one, la, but a lot of fans of the play apparently didn't want it to be turned into a TV show thinking that, you know, it couldn't be done better. Mm-hmm. She did it better. And then season two <laughs> did it better again, you know. Yeah. So I think, like, as much as we like to, as much as Phoebe Waller-Bridge seems to be overly highly acclaimed in the last few years, especially, you know, like, uh, she keeps one-upping it and keeps proving mm-hmm. that she can uh, up the stakes and up the quality to an insanely high degree yeah. uh, that I'm almost shocked by how she is such a recent addition to like you know this canon of like great showrunners that I never knew until like just three or four years ago you know yeah, it, yeah. It, it's really kind of crazy I mean like we just talked about Barry right and like that mm. in and of itself it's also kind of like writer director actor um, deal uh, as well right but like oh man I, I totally understand what you mean uh, at the end of, of season one I was really kind of wondering like where are we going to go with this right like how do you kind of like change things up and kind of like up the stakes at least um, mm-hmm. for what she's doing and like you I was completely surprised I did not imagine it to end on the note that it did right mm-hmm. um, especially you know with the whole priest arc and her the character growth arc with her sister yeah uh, and all of that um, 
yeah, so I don't know how. I mean, there's uh, as far as we know, there's not going to be a season three, right? No, uh, no, she said that like this is it. Like, this was the story she wanted to tell. Okay. And in fact, like if there was a season three, I think the ending of season two would be uh, muted or undone. Uh, mm. I thought it was a perfect ending. As you mentioned earlier, you know, she she almost like at first it's used as a joke delivery device, the fourth wall breaking. Yeah. Uh, they're looking at the camera. In season two, it's revealed that she uses it as her own coping mechanism where yep. she gets to distance herself from the immediacy of the awkwardness or mm-hmm. of the pain that she's feeling right then and there, right? Mm-hmm. She looks at the camera, hot priest calls her out on it and, and all the way on it. And at the end, she finally grows and matures enough to become present, yep. to understand herself, to to grow. Yeah. And when she walks away right at the end in the final scene, she tells the camera to not follow her. Yeah. That that is that is the perfect ending for the show. And I thought that I couldn't think of a better ending than the season one ending. But yeah, but that is the absolute perfect definitive ending for the show. And I wouldn't want any more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean like even as I, I think for season two especially, like it's pretty easy to kind of track her kind of progress right and the her, her the her reliance on the audience as the coping mechanism um yeah. that that we that they kind of explore right in her interactions with with hot priest mm-hmm. um you know well just her turning the camera away for example right like that is a fair bit earlier on than the actual end of the series uh mm-hmm. and that in and of itself is something that was unthinkable i think in season one Right, like yep. at no point in time, because that's like that's the trick, right? That's the ploy, um, mm. you know, and that's what's gotten all of us kind of like invested. It's a neat and it's a clever trick, but for her to turn away from that in the midst of the story that she's trying to tell, uh, was yep. a huge indication of just how far she's grown across the series. Uh, I loved it. Like I totally understand what you mean by like season one felt complete. Uh, mm-hmm. that season two proved that wrong. Right, but you know, it's just like uh, I, I, I don't see how else we could do it, and I don't think I totally agree with you. I don't think we would want to have anything more than that. I do want to check out the stage version, yes. for sure, which I will be doing shortly after this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, anything before we talk about the stage version, because I want to find out a bit more. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to kind of like talk about the the series? Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Like uh, I mentioned, I was a bit uh, tra- uh, trepidatious going to season two. Um, mm-hmm. The funny thing is, right, like the best episode of the entire series was actually season two, episode one, uh, <laughs> which is just uh, immediately tells you that it's it, it's up the level, right, which I didn't think possible. It's the dinner scene uh, <laughs> with her and Hot Priest and her parents and her sister and her, her brother-in-law. Uh, who is who is marvelous, marvelously hateable? By the way, I mean oh I love that God. character. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it, it, but that entire first episode is such a marvelous farce, you know, of a family dinner. Yep. You know, you have the wicked stepmom, you had the hot <laughs> priest, uh, and it's just so uh rife with tension. You know, it's so thick that you know like a steak knife couldn't cut through it. Uh, and it's so funny as well. Um. Yeah, like I, I thought that that first episode just like got the ball rolling, man. Uh, mm. What do you think about it? Oh man, uh, it was so. I mean, it was relatable. I think in a lot of ways, right? Like, you, yeah, you, maybe not family specific, but like you know, moments in time like that where it's so tense and kind of like it's a confluence of every kind of like problem in your life with all the people in your life, right? That you're close mm-hmm. to, kind of like centered in one specific place. Right, and we kind of start off with that, and we we 
we drew like a couple of flashbacks and stuff, we understand that she is trying to improve herself and trying to kind of move on from everything that's happened and kind of put all these things behind her. But at the same time, she can't run away from her family. Uh, yeah. And the, the situations that she finds herself em- embroiled in with them. Uh, mm-hmm. And in the midst of all that, she's again, once again, forced to confront those things, right? That we've seen in season one. Yeah. Despite her good intentions, you know, she's exercising now and all of that. Uh, and Her cafe is successful. Uh, her cafe is successful. She's finally putting kind of effort into that. Uh, you know, she's working out. She's um, saying no to things that she would usually like have trouble saying no to. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, to see that right effort uh, confronted again with the kind of same issues that were plagued her in kind of season one mm-hmm. uh, is is very relatable. I feel like it it is part of the kind of the human condition, right? Like no matter how much you think you've kind of moved on and all of that, some things tend to haunt you for a very long time especially mm-hmm. when it comes to uh, baggage with other people. Uh, yeah. What I enjoyed the most about the first episode of season two were the little asides that they had when she went to smoke. Mm. Uh, because for me, that feels very real, right? Like yeah. just, uh, you know, take a breather and all of that. And then this one-on-one conversation that she ends up having mm-hmm. uh, with her father and with the audience and all of that, like that helped to pace the episode in a way that felt um, it was a relief, you know, instead of having yeah. to like constantly this barrage of like Martin and his inane, like idiotic, like um, jokes. Americanness. And yeah. And, yeah, and Americanness. And, you know, yeah. Olivia Coleman, who is phenomenal as yeah. this kind of like, uh, you know, evil stepmother, but not quite evil stepmother, you know, mm-hmm. um, like it's such a, such a great cast of characters, mm-hmm. right? And like, I think. Um, that episode kind of sums everything up. Like, what all the strengths of the series can be seen mm-hmm. in that episode. Yeah, definitely. Um, I thought the, the, the first season, as I mentioned, they kind of function as like this perfectly self-contained story about Boo and, and uh, her best friend Boo, who she opened the um, guinea pig, pig themed cafe with, yeah. uh, and, and her role in her friend's death, you know, uh, and it was perfectly all well and good and, and perfect, but in season two, as I keep re-emphasizing, it's so much better, you know. And and one of Fleabag's great joys is his ability to be, you know, gut-bustingly funny, while exploring its main character's very real and and obvious suffering. Um, mm-hmm. it is, it is so, I, I can't think of enough like superlative things to to say about season two. Like it's it's <laughs> it's just. It's it's just marvelous, la. and 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 feedback's failures and her triumphs resonate even more deeply than than before. I feel, and in a way mm-hmm. it, that it lets the season surpass the first on many levels. Uh, uh, it's greatly also added. I do have to mention also by Andrew Scott's performance as as Hot Priest. I don't even remember oh, his man. real name to be honest. Yeah, he's just he's just <laughs> been Hot Priest on social media for two years now. He has to live with it. Uh, but yeah, Hot Priest is great. Hot um, is great, yeah. Yes, I mean, yes, like Hot... his entire kind of character arc is is outstanding, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you meet you meet him in in that first episode as kind of like this old kind of off brand, uh, off kilter, sweary priest who drinks and and all of that, you know. But yeah. such a complex character. I think like they didn't downplay, you know, mm-hmm. any of his emotional uh, arc or any emotional growth. And even like when it comes down to him making his final decision at the end of the series, uh, it's understandable, right? Like you kind of get, you're able to kind of chart that throughout the entire way, and you know that it's coming. Um, 
and it doesn't make the ending any more heartbreaking than it is but at the same time it's totally understandable you mm-hmm. know that it would come to that yeah so good so good agree, uh, agree. i think they have great chemistry mm-hmm. like phoebe yes. waller-bridge and andrew scott have great chemistry yeah yeah it was so um palpable right very very few on-screen love uh love interests or, or connections or ships you know uh, have that kind of chemistry yeah 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 absolutely um Amazing, amazing. This, uh, both seasons are near-perfect works of art uh, and is, uh, as I mentioned, a, a tragic comic masterpiece, uh, as is the stage version. Uh, unless you want to talk a little bit more about the TV show, if you have concluding thoughts before I move on to the play. No, I mean, like, definitely, it uh, it really did take me by surprise. I think, like, re-watching season one a second time, or well, some of the episodes from season one a second time and, like, finishing it up, uh, was... Uh, I, I as I was watching, I said, "How did I let this drop off my radar?" You know, that was kind mm. of the thought that I was having because it really is very, very good, and it. Uh, I feel, um, I feel like it added to my life just to see, kind of, <laughs> just to see the entire two seasons of that, like that very real struggle, and that you know, television can be that compelling and that personal uh, on that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's basically what I have. I really, really enjoyed it, and I hope those of you listening uh, can probably check it out. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I I know a lot of you have probably heard so much hype, you know, and you you're probably thinking it's not can't possibly be as good as all those Emmys and all that hype, you know. But but you know it is, you know, and and mm-hmm. as is the the stage version, which I think is a very sparse uh, presentation of this story. Um, what the stage version is, it's it's a one-woman show. Uh, it doesn't have hot priest. It doesn't have all the side characters. It is Phoebe Waller-Bridge on a on a chair, uh, monologuing for an hour and a half, telling mm. essentially uh, the details differ here and there, but essentially season one's story uh, through monologues and, and relating all the scenes that we see in season one or most of the scenes that we see in season one uh, via it's like her telling a friend a story. Um, mm. much in the same way that when she looks at the camera, like, we are her friend that she's telling the story. Like, so it's part uh, one-woman monologue and also part stand-up comedy uh, yeah. because, you know, a lot of it is also very funny. Like, it's it's kind of staged with this very canny simplicity by this woman named uh, Vicky Jones who really doesn't do much with it. Sometimes there are bits of dialogue that is played over over the audio, uh, mm-hmm. like, you know, um, over the speakers. Like, like yeah. she, let's say it opens with... Uh, job interview that she had right if you remember yeah. mm-hmm. uh and then the the dialogue from the job interviewer will be played on the speakers but they won't actually be seen on screen uh so she's just kind of reacting there and it's it's kind of performed with this fabulous um lacerating technique that phoebe waller bridge is, is is so uh known for uh and it's it's actually wonderful and very uh, immersive, uh, even more personal than the TV show is because it really feels oh, like you're wow. sitting down, mm-hmm. like literally you're just sitting down with feedback for for an hour and a half, and she's just you know for sixty five or seventy or eighty ish minutes, however long it is, it's just played. Uh, and she's just it's just packed with all her anecdotes, all her stories, all her heartbreak, all her triumphs, all her hum- humiliations, as you as she tells it to you in a very personal, very candid, very vulgar fashion. Yeah. Um, it it is. Uh, almost chronologically free-flowing, but you can kind of piece together the story. Uh, and it's uh, colorful and frequently riotous language. Um, all, all, all the 
basic essential elements are there, you know, the the chilly familial relationship, the uh-huh. cyclical breakups with uh, her boyfriend Harry, uh, who and 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 things like that, uh, all there. But mainly, it's just Phoebe Waller-Bridge and her um, immense charisma just carrying you through um, an hour and a half, and and I really feel like. A lot of times when I hear the the idea of uh, or the premise of one man play or one woman play, it sounds so tedious. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like like oh god, you know uh, how how self indulgent and masturbatory is this gonna be? <laughs> but 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 feedback is is anything but because it's so raw and naked and vulnerable and uh-huh. and it is so much darker. Like it's it's shockingly a lot darker than season one of of feedback is. Oh wow. Um, okay. Well, like what what she does, how she describes it. Uh, it's a lot more visceral. It's a lot more intimate, and it's a lot more. Uh, Fleabag herself is a lot more unpalatable than uh-huh. than in the show. So, um, in fact, the show kind of kind of sanitized her a bit, uh, if you can believe that, because she's already pretty unlikable in the show. Yeah, but it's it, it's much darker, filled with tales of her self-loathing and sex addiction. It kind of starts out funny, but ends mm-hmm. up as very harrowing and and depressing. Uh, it's a much more naked exercise than the show ever was, and mm. it's it's really definitely worth worth a watch. Cool, cool. Oh wow. Okay. I mean, like, I, I, it's hard to kind of like wrap my head around that having not watched it yet. Okay. Mm. Uh, definitely gonna be checking that out. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Uh, you can find it on Amazon Prime, I believe. Uh. And also, but if you're living uh-huh. elsewhere, you can go on to something called Soho Theatre. Uh, if you're living in the UK and the US, there it's available there as well. For uh, the the fees actually dif- differ according to the different platforms, but you know, uh, you you figure it out lah. Uh, but yeah, uh, all tr- two seasons highly recommended. The uh play the stage version also very highly mm-hmm. recommended. Uh, yeah, and an almost perfect show that sort of like. Laptop there for me, uh, alongside the wire, for example, yeah. as, as like one of my favorite shows ever. Yeah, it's excellent, excellent stuff. Yep. Uh, next up, let's. Uh, I think it's this. This is probably the first time we'll be talking about some uh nonfiction, right? Uh, uh, I, yes. I thought I, I would switch things up because you know I had recommended a movie, uh, uh-huh. I had recommended a TV show, but you know let's do some nonfiction now. Let's let's give it a. Uh, a little different flavor to the podcast so this show cheer it comes from uh, it's on netflix it comes from the team behind a football a college football documentary called last chance you which i was a big fan of also mm-hmm. uh but the big difference is this time it heads to texas to a place called navarro college for a six episode look at the world of uh, competitive cheerleading um cheerleading Competitive cheerleading, like i had no idea what what the world is what the scene yeah. is prior mm-hmm. to watching this this show uh, one of the hilarious things about watching Cheer is how invested I got not only in not only in the characters but also in the sports because like me and Hardy, you know, like those uh what do you call like Monday morning quarterbacks, you know, like yeah, uh, like after watching the show, we started like oh now we know what making mat is, we know what uh we know what a full out is, we know what tumbling is, we know what yeah. stunting is, and then we like we started, we started like discussing routines that like, we were like fucking experts, you know, it's like oh you know, he shouldn't be stunting, you know, he's a tumbler, etc. Like you know oh that that girl's a flyer, blah blah blah. Oh she's not like graceful enough to be a flyer, like like we know, you know, but yeah. That is, the, that is the kind of like intimate detail that you kind of get with cheer. <laughs> and you will be wrapped up in the intricacies of uh, of cheerleading, competitive cheerleading, which is so much more harder and so much more dangerous than you would expect. Yeah. Um, and also, 
in the personal stories like, of the people involved. Uh. Uh-huh. Um, and, and this being like your first time watching Cheer, what, what do you think of it? Uh, I mean, I didn't really know what I expect. I do remember the period of time when both you and Hardy were, were rave, kind of raving about it um, early mm-hmm. in the year. Uh, it is... Okay, to put it kind of simply, right? After watching Cheer, like, it's, it's so, so easy to see, right? Why people should be looking at competitive cheerleading as a, as a genuine sport. Right, because mm-hmm. every element that you will see in any other sports docu series or documentary is available to you in cheer as well. Right, there mm-hmm. is um, there are moments of 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 growth and and of tears and of like people getting injured and like careers being on the line. And then uh, you have team, to team dynamics the and all that. that. Yeah, and team yeah team dynamics and all that. And you have to remember that these are just the college kids, right? Like mm-hmm. it is um it is full and tense and fraught. Uh, with all the things like even bigger kind of like sports docu series have, uh, you know, you want to compare it to kind of anything that you you watch. Um, for me, the major appeal for that is that it felt a lot like um the the sports animes that I love, mm. right? Um, and and it has that kind of like pacing, it has the same kind of like beats as that as well, and it's just I appreciate uh the the idea of competitive cheerleading a lot more than I did before I watched it, right? Um, it's so fascinating to kind of have a peek into this world that, well, prior to, I only had a kind of very brief kind of encounter with because my god sister used to be a cheerleader as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, you know, just to have, uh, just, I, I totally understand what it is. Like, you pick up a lot of the terminology and what it means and all of that. Just by osmosis, right? I don't think I went out of my way to go and memorize all of those things. But at the end of six episodes, I'm just like, oh, yeah, you know, I can actually watch a routine and, like, you know, kind of break it down, which is fascinating, right? I, I think that's that's just uh, an indication of how uh, taken I have been with the series itself uh, overall. Um, it, it's, been a, it's been fun to watch. Definitely. And I've got a new kind of found respect for, for the sport. Yeah. Uh, I think I think the pop culture understanding of cheerleading comes a lot from, I think, movies like Bring It On and things like that, yeah. which um, I think competitive cheerleaders would take issue with because that is not the sport. La. Like, yeah. that is maybe an aspect of the sport, which is dancing. And, mm-hmm. and, and the, the, the men and women, the girls and boys of cheer also do that as well, yep. you know, but that's not the, the thing that they really strive to. So I think it's a very like convincing portrait of what an unquestionably real, absolutely dangerous sport it is, you know, complete with, you know, compelling stories that make it much more emotional and, and exciting than, than some of the sports are because it's, it's kind of part dance. Yeah. It's part uh, like figure skating, it's part gymnastics. Uh, and it's it's so difficult, and the rewards are so small also because yeah. uh, you can't go professional with this. There's no professional outlet. Uh, in in Last Chance You, all the kids that we saw could mm-hmm. conceivably, if they were good enough, you know, make millions of dollars, have yeah. a career in the NFL, etc. Or, or if you don't want to, you know, you can go Canada or whatever. Like, there, are, there are outlets for you. But with these cheer kids, like, the, regardless of how good you are, you know, Gabby is, is obviously the star of, of the, that world, you know. Yeah. There is no professional outlet for you un, unless you decide to become a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's essentially it, you know. And it's, it kind of sucks. Like. Yeah. I, I think yeah. It's, it, it really sank in for me when we were just talking about, like, there's two minutes and 15 seconds, right? Everything mm. that you do, all your effort, I mean, it boils down to two minutes and fifteen seconds, and there's no kind of like like where else in the world does it actually boil down to that? 
you know, uh, mm-hmm. in the world of sport. Where else in the uh, does you will your entire career essentially hinge, right, on two minutes and fifteen seconds? And that was mind blowing to me. And the fact that they were just talking about like how much stress that it puts on the body and the fact that after college, it's not just that there's no avenue um, for, for you to pursue cheer past that. But a lot of the times, these athletes' uh, bodies are so broken down by the time they're done with college cheer that mm-hmm. they can't pursue the sport anymore, even if they wanted to. It's, mm-hmm. it's mind-blowing, right? Because, you know, I do, um, even like football or basketball, right? Like, People's careers goes in, in into maybe even their early forties if they wanted to. Uh, yes, yeah. Right. So like how it it that just how severe the sport is mm-hmm. uh, on 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 the athletes that participate in it, and just how small of a chance and how intense that must be over the two years that you're in college is yeah. kind of mind blowing. I I think, mm-hmm. uh, and I it, it's understandable why a lot of the very intense. Uh, moments and emotions that go on and we see from the characters as things kind of play out uh, across mm-hmm. their season is understandable, right? Because for so many of them, like this is something that they really, really love and this is their last chance to be good at it and achieve something at it. And it's it's crazy. Like how, you know, do you actually kind of like wrap your head around that when a lot of sport is play, plays out a lot, a, a longer time period? Oh yes, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, there's seasons. So, you you can you can make up for mistakes. Uh, yeah. you know, for example, like if uh, if a basketball team loses the first ten games of the season, it's it's not the end, you know. Yeah. But if you if you trip and fall in your know, two minutes and fifteen seconds in the final, that's it, you know. That's your career. That's done and gone. It's so yeah. high stakes, you know. And but it's dedication. Insane. Yeah, the, like the focus on the dedication and the discipline and and just the tremendous amounts of amount of pain that uh all of them go through is remarkable uh-huh. uh especially for the fact that you know they receive so little recognition uh. i mean outside of the small little bubble that they live in like nambaro for example yeah. uh it's 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 insane it's it's crazy um <laughs> who was who are some of like the the standout um i, I want to say characters they're not characters uh, who are some out people that they that they profile for you uh? um I thought Jerry Harris was very, uh, very interesting. He's he's definitely my favorite uh, yeah. out of all the the guys that are there. You know, it, un, kind of like an underdog story uh, and all of that. But like his his demeanor, uh, his personality, right, and just like his character is is something that I found really really appealing. Just because he always puts himself in a place to be positive and to be accepting and to 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 work on himself right which i i really really liked i mean you've got all sorts of characters down the road you have you know um what's the name again morgan who's kind of like uh from a rough background and mm-hmm. um lives with her grandparents on a farm and all of that mm-hmm. you know and uh has no background um whatsoever right and like in kind chill, of yeah into, yeah into yeah. front lines um and I guess of course you know G- Gabby Butler being the star that she is. Uh, yeah, yeah, she's like prior she's like to... the, yeah, the the LeBron of the team, so to speak. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, yeah. so like it was an interesting kind of peek into her life. Like even prior to this, I had kind of vaguely heard of her name and and what she was about. Uh, uh even prior to watching Cheer itself, you know, so having kind of like a peek into what her life is actually like and what her parents are actually like, and wow, what what a what a life, <laughs> yeah. Not envious uh, of her at, at all. I, um, I feel like it's, it's very, me, yeah. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Sorry. 
Oh yeah. So, but for me, like, kind of a lot of it rests on Lexi. I think Lexi's story mm-hmm. is is um very interesting and kind of fascinating. It's uh, it's um, I I think because it plays a lot of that plays out during, uh, the filming itself that we mm-hmm. it kind of gets a lot more focus, uh, yep. than what everybody else is doing. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. But I mean, definitely for me, standout favorite is definitely Jerry. Uh, I think Lexi yeah. has a very interesting kind of like story. Uh, w- which I heard played out in a very kind of different way. I post um, post series for her, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, and just having a look at what like what is like because Gabby is kind of like a, a millennial uh, internet star, right? In her own kind of right, prior to mm-hmm. even like the the progress of the series itself, and it was interesting to see how that played out, right? Like were, were were there you know were they in deference to her a lot of the time when she was there and it didn't see, really seem that way you know like she put in the work um, yeah of course much uh, as much or if not more than anybody else that was there you know but mm-hmm. the kind of decisions that she can had had to make or the decisions that are made for her you know and obviously like the people in her life who are trying to capitalize on on her popularity and things like that was was interesting right like in the midst of all this you know, very intense preparation for Daytona. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really, wow. <laughs> it's, it's quite a lot to deal with in like the just the six episodes that we get. Yeah, um, it's actually quite startling to see, uh, or at least for the filmmakers to actually capture uh, certain, I don't want to say character arcs, but they are character arcs for they, yeah. all the all the major <laughs> players, you know. Like, yeah. I mean... Lexi, I feel like it's the you, you equated it to to an anime. Lexi would be like, I guess, our protagonist character, being the the kind of vaping anti cheerleader who who is kind of our our proxy into that world, you know. Yeah. Uh, the the resident dark horse, uh, and and she she is you know not as how do you say like not as like polished or uh, yeah. or as like country girl as Gabby or Morgan is you know she's more of a rough around the edges you know yeah. big city kid you know making poor choices in in her life etc but you yeah. know like when she tumbles you know but like she's a beast uh, you know she's she as good is as, a beast she's she's as good as as any any one of them la. and and yeah. Morgan is the classic like dark horse because she's just so average you know uh-huh. but. Because she's average, she kind of want to root for her, and she tries so much harder than anyone else to get yep. better. You know, yep. just because she's just not innately talented. Uh, compare that on the opposite end of the front to uh, Ladarius, who is just so um cocky, yeah. uh, <laughs> extremely overconfident to the point of arrogance, and and like uh, which brings us to his best friend, uh, what's his name? Get Jerry, right? Jerry, who is yeah, the opposite exactly. of opposite of Ladarius, who is. Friendly, supportive, always there to to uh, help out his teammates, right? And it's yeah. Jerry's heart arc is probably the most difficult and heartbreaking because you know there is that moment where Monica puts him uh, into the team uh, just to prove a point to Ladarius that he is not indispensable. But you did you didn't uh-huh. know that like like coming from Jerry's point of view, he thought he made it. He thought he made Matt, right? He yeah, made Matt man. for a day. Uh- and then he gets off, and then he's on again, and like even then, right? Like he goes, that, oh, yeah. you know, is there anything I can do?" Right? As a guy who done, who's on the team but didn't make that. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, yeah. just to be able to to um have that kind of attitude in in the midst of what is everything going on, like mm-hmm. it, he really is the cheerleader's cheerleader, and and that's no understatement. Mm. 
Yes, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm sure that in, in, in all the cheerleading locker rooms, he is he's the guy that everybody looks for for emotional support and just wants you know have, have a beer with guys like yeah. that. Uh, Ladarius is interesting because he's just one of those guys who is just obviously talented, but a bit hard to put up with. And sometimes yeah. his hypocrisy is... Uh, in, you know when he's not feeling it, he really doesn't feel it. But then when he feels it, he, <laughs> he shows off like he's the hardest working guy there. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, like for that day, you probably worked the hardest among them. But like, what about like the, that other day where, <laughs> where he of... took off, you know? Yeah, and and exactly, I think like right? and... Monica was such a great coach. He made he made an example out of Ladarius by using his best friend, which is like um, harsh and and yeah. cold but you know it, it is what it is like. that's how you use your team's dynamics and different personalities to like to function uh. and yeah. which brings me to monica as like probably the the mother dragon of this uh little team that they have uh. and yeah the, monica is interesting because she's both almost the protagonist and the antagonist of the show oh, in a absolutely. sense absolutely um because... what, what's the alter ego called again annette yes yeah oh, we, yeah we yeah. actually get to see annette do we? Correct. But I mean, like, she is so hard and almost like um, drill sergeant-esque, right? When she wants to be, but yep. at the same time, she can be really nurturing and mother-like uh, when she needs to be as well. And how, how uh -huh. protective she is of her kids, you know? Uh, like, especially her gay kids or the kids who have, like, tough backgrounds really, like, gives you some uh, very, like, Friday night-like feels uh, in terms of, like, yeah. you know, the sympathetic coach who, who is the parent figure for people with no parents. Uh, her discipline yeah. yet maternal ways. Yeah. Um, there was a particular, like, what, watching kind of the injuries unfold on, on TV was a bit, like, um, a bit graphic. Uh, I wish I didn't expect from, yeah. from the show, you know. There was there was a particular training session I think really really close to Daytona. I I haven't seen this in, since January, so this, I'm just kind of trying to remember. Um, where I think three of their top flyers just like went crashing down with like pretty severe injuries, and it was like one of those "fuck, we're not going to make it" moments, which is just high drama. Yeah. Uh. Well, it was a series of injuries in a very short amount of time, right? It starts with Sherps. Uh. Basically. Yep, Sherps. Like, yep. Yeah, she breaks her arm, and then like after that, uh, Lily gets uh gets injured, and then Morgan gets injured, and like they're all mm. like pretty severe injuries, like so much so they're like going to and fro from the hospital, they're defying doctors' orders, and all of that. Uh, mm. it's 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 kind of nuts, right? Because like, I didn't expect to kind of see that. Uh, it's one thing to kind of like hear about you know um. Uh, uh, football players going, uh, getting off the field to get like steroidal shots so that they can get back on the field and play again. And you know, people mm -hmm. laud and kind of like celebrate that. But to see these kids mm -hmm. doing it uh, for something that they're so passionate about, and every time um, someone falls to the ground, like it's so fraught, it's so tense, right? I'm so worried for mm -hmm. them, uh, you know, at every point in time. Yeah, that uh, the moment when like, kind of like <coughs> I think when. Uh, uh, Shubs gets injured and Monica walks off and just to ha to um consult with the other coaches, I'm just yep. like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, it's like a week, a week and a half away or two weeks away or something like that, and it's like, yeah, it's crazy, such yeah, good I drama. Mean, 
of a graffiti divine i mean like uh, the stunters obviously do a lot also like, and it's a lot of physical uh work that, that goes into stunting and keeping everyone up you know but i yep. think the flyers take, take obviously the most risk because they're like 20 30 40 feet in the air and if somebody doesn't catch you you know it you could conceivably die you know um, people have yep. broken their necks doing this people have broken arms and backs and legs doing this it's it's tough and every time like one of those girls uh, like like hits the floor like it was, it's such a a, a sickening fart right it's yep. so man how do you survive that i would never do that in a million years no matter how much you paid me and the irony is nobody pays any of these people they're so they're so like i want to say underpaid but that's not true because they're not paid at all you know they're they're undervalued in terms of society or in terms of the you know the sporting landscape you know uh it uh -huh. it it's stunning because you know they put so much of their effort and pain and bodies into this for for a sport that is just barely even kind of recognized in, in the global sphere. But I guess that's kind of the point of cheer, right? Because, you know, suddenly people have such a higher higher regard for competitive cheerleading. Mm, yeah, it is it is insane. It is insane. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I would totally follow uh, multiple seasons of a series like this, honestly. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah. I have a feeling that Monica would, wouldn't allow, like, you know, multiple seasons of this because, like, there is, a, there is sort of a, the idea that she, she feels like the camera crew is a distraction a bit. Yeah, I mean, I do. It does feel that way. It, I mean, okay, so with every kind of documentary, right, we always have to kind of be aware of the fact that the documentary makers are trying to tell a particular story from their point of view and how, you know, obviously editing and all that plays a part in how characters and the story is represented um, mm -hmm. to the audience. Uh, it doesn't feel like there was any sort of, you know, ill intent uh, or anything kind of like malicious in the way that the people were portrayed. It felt very genuine. It felt very real. You know, yeah, I don't yeah. think they kind of like shied away from people's flaws or even like the great parts about uh, who, who they were. They didn't upplay or downplay any of those things or mm. exaggerate them for to make better TV, right? Which is such a common thing there in this mm -hmm. day and age. Um, yeah. But yeah, for sure, definitely. Uh, I don't think Monica would would, um, would stand for that again. But I was just kind of like googling, you know, what what's happened to everybody like since mm. then <laughs> and all of that. That's a lot of drama after the finals, actually. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, like I mean, Lexi was the big story right after the finale uh, because yeah. you know, uh, like spoiler alert, like she was kicked out of the team, but then she made it back. Uh, it yeah. was it was a whole it was a whole deal. Uh, Jerry has sort of become this Hollywood sensation. He's been on like red carpets, doing interviews and stuff for like variety, like Entertainment Tonight and stuff like yeah. that. Just because people love him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's great, and and everyone seems to be doing well. Uh, and and Monica is, uh, on she's like the the, the Phil Jackson of of that role, right? <laughs> like yeah. like like uh, she's won like thirteen national championships and all of that. In fact, like from Monica's point of view, her biggest opponent is herself. Uh, and. Do do you feel that like I, I don't know there there are a couple of things that 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 the show got a bit of flack for um uh -huh. Gab Gabby I think in particular didn't like how her por how her parents were portrayed um yeah which I wish I can understand they 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 appeared to look like they were monetizing her which they are but also for her own benefit and and maybe we don't know enough about their relationship to to make to make a judgment call whether it's good or bad la, but yeah, like her sure. parents have gotten hit online which mm -hmm. is what she doesn't like um monica herself has gotten a bit of heat also for being maybe a bit too harsh maybe a bit too demanding um as she describes it, the escalating 
danger and the escalating comple- complexity of the routines year to year, right? Like she's yeah. constantly one-upping, you know. Yeah. Oh, three pyramids is not enough. Let's do four pyramids and let's do a pyramid on top of a pyramid, you know, blah, blah, blah. blah. It, it becomes so ridiculously demanding that, like, I feel that Monica might push... I mean, push for the good, but also might push too far one day. I don't know. I don't know. I, like, I'm, I'm talking as if, like, I know what the fuck I'm talking about. La, but, oh. like, it does, it does seem very dangerous what she's doing. La. I mean, of course. But, I, but like, without people like that, you kind of never... Like, the sport won't progress, right? Like, yeah, sure. Um, we... Uh, this is, like, a constant thing. Like, for example, uh, with Last Dance being out and all of that. Like, people always ask, you know, how would Jordan do in today's NBA? And, mm. and things like that. Like uh, some of these discussions are, are kind of difficult because the every, the way that information is now, right, uh, with the internet and all of that, like uh, athletes are getting better and better at a younger and younger age, uh, mm. and every like there's just a breadth of kind of like knowledge that is available to kind of anyone who wants to, who is invested enough to go and do kind of do research for that. So all things being level on that, uh, in that arena, right? Like how do you how does the sport grow there? Uh, from there on end, uh, will she go too far? Probably, right? Um, yeah, and like the, her routines are just insane. Though. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm coming from like a, a top, completely outsider point of view, but they just seem like physically impossible things to do perfectly. It's man, it's it's <laughs> I, but I mean, she is she does prep her kids very well, uh, mm-hmm. to the point where it's almost unbelievable but i don't know I, I i just feel like one of these days like one of her routines is just going to be going too far yeah probably yeah. Yeah. probably i mean like we we i guess we'll have to see you know i they, guess yeah they, because this this series has taken them way beyond just like their little bubble now right they're being watched um on on like an international level you know, people mm-hmm. are a lot more invested in their actual stories itself. So, like, if anything ever, I mean, like, if they pull something incredible off, we're gonna hear about it. If they, if something, uh, you know, touch wood, but if something does happen and it goes too far, we are also gonna hear about it. So, um, yeah, now they are in the spotlight in a very different way than they were before. Mm-hmm. And with an audience that they have kind of trained uh, to know about cheerleading, you know, the dynamics of cheerleading, the moves, of the terminology, of the political, di- the political landscape of what cheerleading is, uh, yeah. it is, it's really good la, that they're getting a bit more of a spotlight because at the very least, you know, they're not getting paid, they can't make a career of it, at least they should get the recognition, which at, at, yeah. at bare minimum. At bare minimum, yeah, agreed. Yeah. Totally agree. Uh, the series sort of starts out in a weird position because it's, in the first couple of episodes, it's, the, sh- the show is almost trying to justify itself like or justify the sport as <laughs> yeah. something to take it seriously, you know? And, and then by the end, you take it absolutely seriously. So I guess if that was the barometer of success in terms of how people regard cheerleading, I think the show did a, a, a flawless a job. job. Yeah, a great yeah. job. Absolutely. Great job. Yep. They hit, uh, what, what is it called again? They hit zero. Yes, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, Cheer is on Netflix right now. You can watch it. It's only about six episodes, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so it's about six episodes. Each episode is about slightly less than an hour, maybe about 50 minutes or so. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's an easy watch, really. Like, uh, it's one of those things that is uh, it's very bingeable, for sure. Definitely. Uh, next up, uh, we'll be talking about uh, an anime that spans over, I believe, three seasons. Uh, or, like... Well, three seasons, right? Yeah, the second the second season is broken up into half, so I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, so have to do it. I mean, like technically, people usually call it like two seasons, and there's also one movie. Uh, which yes. I I don't have you watched the movie? 
Uh, I, yeah, I watched them. Okay, cool. So, yeah. So, I mean, like, a, a number of movies, or uh, short films, rather. Uh, three movies, actually. There was one in between season one and two. Yeah. And then one in between season two and three, or season two and 2.5, and then one at the end. Yeah. So uh, uh-huh. It's actually classified as a combination of episodes. It's classified as two or three episodes, like, lumped together to yeah. make it into one movie. Uh-huh. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, it's it's fantastic. Would you like to give the uh, uh, audience a, a rundown of what Mushishi is before we delve into okay, it? Okay, so uh, Mushishi started as a, a Japanese manga series um, <clears throat> written and illustrated by Yuki Urushibara. Um, I think it was serialized in wait let me just check my notes it was serialized between from 1992 to 2009 1999 to 2002 mm. uh and uh, eventually became a uh anime series uh so we follow ginko who is this kind of like very enigmatic um man who has dedicated his entire life to keeping people protected from these supernatural creatures called mushi right mm. uh and um the series was adapted by Artland uh, and has been airing since 2005. So I kind of discovered this shortly after the main kind of like seasons aired online. Uh, um, so I wasn't actually following it as it was aired. Um, mm. So you guys can find it on Funimation uh, right now. Um, but essentially, that's it. It's a kind of like a serialized look at um, it's almost like a how best to describe this. It's almost like an anthology. Yeah, um, it's almost it's a, it's a series of short stories. It's a, yes, it's a series of short stories that involves a lot of like supernatural occurrences that happen in rural uh, Japan. Um, mm-hmm. We don't really get a sense of the time that this takes place. There are certain episodes where it's a. I mean, it's not modern time clearly, but like it's a lot more modern. You know, it's we're not talking about like uh, the Japanese Civil War or anything. It's not the Sengoku period, lah. At least, um, isn't it like the late nineteenth century? Yes. Yeah. yeah, because like, you know, you've seen like Jap- Japan has kind of opened up a bit. There's some uh, vestiges of like uh, Western influences in the way that they dress and so on and so forth, at least for the way Ginkgo dresses mm, uh, yeah. and all of that. Um, yeah, so it, it's largely episodic. Uh, I feel mm. like very rarely do, do any of the stories spend more than a couple of episodes. But uh, when I discovered Mushishi, I don't, uh, to be really honest, I don't remember how I discovered it. I think... Um, it was just something that I I was I wanted something to watch and I clicked on it and like I got hooked like kind of immediately just because the pacing of it is so vastly different from like ninety percent of the kind of anime that we're getting today or have mm-hmm. been getting for the last decade, uh, and yeah. it's a it's a masterclass in storytelling, absolutely, um, the pacing of it uh it's very it's not slow you know but it's relaxed and. It allows you to kind of really get immersed into in into whatever story that they're telling for that particular episode or for the series of episodes that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, every uh, sort of it's whimsical uh, to a fault, almost sometimes I think. Uh, but at the same time, when when uh, it is called to the story, there are elements of danger and and tension. And sometimes it's kind of fraught with uncertainty because Ginko, as as good as he is at what he does, there are just times that he's confronted by things that he can't deal with, and has to mm. find like creative ways to get out of it. Um, mm. Yeah, it's it's hard to describe what Mushishi is uh, exactly, right? Like there's the whole the world building does give you a sense of what these creatures are about. They're kind of like the unseen um, spiritual building blocks of the world that we understand and only a certain few people 
uh, can see them or interact mm-hmm. with them and Ginkgo is one such person. We do meet other characters along the way as well who have that ability and it's just like this very kind of secret magical world uh, that is privy only to a few uh, but affects the everyday lives of normal people and we get a peek into that through this series. Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing that struck me most about Mushishi when I first watched it is it's so unlike most anime that I watch, you know, in the in the sense that there isn't the the very predictable beats. Yeah. There aren't there aren't the pointless dialogue or the endless recaps or the the very samey arc for the protagonist that I see in nearly every in in every anime. Like it's 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 very different. It's very restrained and contemplative. Uh, and very spir- spiritually beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it is interesting because when I read the premise of uh, what a mushishi is, a person who protects humanity against supernatural creatures, your immediate assumption is that oh, he fights like demons, right? Yeah. Um, which isn't the case at all. Um, and it presents the mushi, which are these supernatural creatures, as an unseen, hidden part of our natural. Uh, ecosystem or natural ecology. Yeah. Um, they aren't to be fought or destroyed. The only the only times when they pose a danger to us is when we throw the system out of whack. Yeah. When uh when we are treating nature as it, how it should not be treated, you know. So there is a very um subtle environmental uh theme going on in the show. Mm-hmm. Well, actually not subtle like, It's, it's not subtle. Quite, <laughs> It's quite, it's quite overt, but yeah, it's it's a kind of a show about ecology, told through supernatural means, yeah, uh, or mystical means, and and love the the bits of folklore that they include. The world mm. building is wonderful without being too specific, yeah, so that you can, uh, still have an air of magic and mystery and mysticism to it, Like, mm-hmm. like you don't, I don't actually really want to know the details of what their power is or what's what can be done or what cannot be done. Yep. So I want that magical realism. And and speaking of realism, the stories itself are also realistic because they are not these overblown stories about people with powers or people fighting. It's very, very um, self-contained human stories yeah. about heartbreak, about family, about life, about death, you know. Uh, and it is uh, very unlike any other supernatural uh, anime that I've ever seen. Mm. Exactly. And I think like for that, like Musishi has been one of my top five enemies for the longest time, like ever since uh, you know, I, I, I first got onto it. Uh and it is it is a cult favorite, I, I do believe, right? But it's also something that doesn't get a lot of uh um recommendation, you know. Um uh, just in general, just because it's not what people traditionally think uh of when they think of an anime uh, to recommend. People, yeah. Uh, what amazes me about Mushishi is like, despite whatever arc you're on, um, mm. every story is so well self-contained in a given episode, and we're, we're talking like less than twenty minutes, right? Yeah. Uh, for any given episode, um, the story is very, very complete. It has a proper introduction. It uh, with with um, with the exception of Ginku, who we kind of grow with in in a way, right? Because like he he's there in almost every episode. Uh, other than that, all the other characters need to be introduced. The situation needs to be uh, explicated for everybody, and like you need to do a, like a little bit of world building because like you don't ever, you rarely ever have a repeat of the same mushi involved, right? Mm. So all of that needs to be done in a very very short amount of time, and then you have your the, all three acts take place in like fifteen minutes, and for them to consistently do that 
over essentially what's three seasons is insane. Mm. Like it's mind blowing. Uh, how consistently and how well they've done that. Uh, I love yep. it. Yeah. The relaxed, restrained mood and atmosphere of the show makes you internalize that it is a slow show. But to do all of that storytelling in 15 to 20 minutes proves that it is not, which is why it never feels slow. Exactly. Uh, and it, it's very good. Um, I love that they hammer the idea that, you know, like, again, like Mushi are like a natural and inseparable part of our world, right? Yep. As you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And, and every other living creature cannot survive without each other and vice versa. Uh, it's it's very, it has such a different take on the supernatural, and I really love it. I love the character work as well yeah. of Ginkgo, who is enigmatic, uh, but not so because you get to learn his backstory as the story unfolds. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. it is episodic to an extent, but there are recurring characters. Mm-hmm. You do when, like you said, like the Mushi is fundamentally most of the time different. Yeah, but when there is a repeat, you know, like it's like oh, first bit of continuity. <laughs> Then, then you kind of like your brain starts racing. Oh yeah, I remember that this is what you can do and etc. Yeah. So it's it's very good. I love all the recurring side characters they introduce. You know, like his his doctor friend as well, mm-hmm. who is obsessed with mushy artifacts. Yeah. Um. The the girl with the black leg, uh, who who basically is the record keeper for for mushy tales from different mushishis. You know. Yeah. Uh, Things like that, like whenever there's a bit of continuity, I I perk up a little bit because like, oh, this is different, or or this episode is a sort of sequel to an episode that we saw before. Yeah. Um, it does. It also does an excellent job of of presenting the lives of the different villagers, whether they live in the, uh, by the ocean, mm-hmm. or whether they live in the mountains, or yeah. whether they live in the farmland, as like uh, it, the scenery is ideal and picturesque, picturesque, yeah. but. The situation is not ideal or picturesque and it's rather fraught with their own complex web of difficulties and very human hardships yeah. that that never repeat their beats. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always exactly. it's always something different. Yeah. Uh so it's it's wonderful. Uh, it's it's a, it's a great enemy with a good message about coexistence with our net with our natural surroundings. Yeah. Uh and also a very great uh, enemy about uh the human condition, which is I think rare outside of slice of life enemies. Oh, absolutely. Uh, like the the how neat the storytelling is does not detract from how nuanced and complex the stories are, you know. Mm. And um, again, in fifteen minutes, that's mind blowing. Like it really is. Like how how do you do that? Like we don't ever get a straight cut. Like happily ever after story. Like in any of the the stories that we get, right? Like it's always um you know it, it's better than before most of the time. Right, but it's all it. They never detract from the fact that they don't give you an easy ending, uh, mm. at any one point in time. Uh, it for me, it it the the allegory of of nature as the supernatural is a beautiful one that's very well animated and very well told. Uh, mm. it's almost like um, you know, it's environmentalism. It's the myth making of environmentalism in a time when things were simpler. Um, mm. But at the same time, because of our our relationship of, of mankind and humanity's relationship with the environment, uh, uh, it there are many unseen things uh, that, or maybe things that we don't pay attention to, and it mm-hmm. it's kind of opens up this world for people to kind of understand that look, there are a lot of um, our actions have more uh, larger consequences on the environment than we think. Uh, you yes. know, and it should not be just up to uh, you know, the special few who can see these tangents and these like strings that tie all these beings together to to solve it, right? Because a lot of the time, the resolutions don't come from Kinko himself. 
It comes from mm. him convincing or, or him, you know, helping people to kind of realize that, look, you are in a, a very complex kind of ecosystem and it's being thrown out of whack because of such and such and such. And you need to correct that, you know. So yeah. we get to see so many iterations of that kind of like um, uh, fable, right? Mm. That it kind of like drives home a very interesting point. Uh, across all the seasons but it never gets tired you know because mm. there's always a different way and always a different nuance always a different layer of complexity to kind of like see all of that and then to finally see where Ginkgo situates himself with his backstory and all the recurring characters it's it's, it's such a great melting pot of like good stuff you know to yeah. enjoy yeah, uh, you make a really good point about how a lot of folklore, at least most folklore, in, whether you're in Japan or whether it's paganism, it's it's really about humanity's relationship with nature. Yeah. And and this is just a, a new newer version of that. You know, it's about our relationship with nature. So many of the stories are about like, hey, don't cut down that tree, but we need the wood, you know, that kind of thing. Like. Yeah. Um, it's, I'm obviously very simplifying an, uh, an, an episode, like, but you get what I mean. Like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it's, it's just really wonderful storytelling. And I think the thing that struck me the most is that I found the beats quite unpredictable. Like I mm. never quite knew where something was going, and ever every time like I thought I had it figured out, it goes somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. It's it's rare. I think because you know, like as much as I love anime, a lot of it is quite predictable. And I found mm -hmm. this to be a very unpredictable story with, uh, and unpredictable, not like wild twists that come out of nowhere. Like very predict. Very unpredictable, but the reasons are very human and understandable and organic as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's I'm, I, I spent quite a, a bit of time just trying to understand structurally how like uh, is there a formula that he kind of applies right in every given story, you know? Mm. Because with fifteen minutes to work with, like there are only so many kind of variables that you can kind of shift around. Uh, but it never, it always takes me by surprise. Uh, mm. same as you and I've never quite understood how it's done like what what's the trick to having all these stories and all these episodes but never quite telling it the same way uh, mm -hmm. despite the fact that you know the uh, it's not easy to, to do mm -hmm. that and uh, yeah it's, it, as you can uh, yeah I'm a huge fan as you guys can <laughs> probably hear uh, and it's something that I've rewatched many many times over the years and I sometimes still don't understand like how something can be this good and uh not more widely um received or acclaimed yeah yeah um i feel also that the art of episodic storytelling is kind of lost in mm. uh and a lot of shows these days are almost serialized to a fault yeah. to, a, to a point where i can't differentiate one episode from the next mm -hmm. and there is a kind of like it, it kind of a nostalgic in, in me la, that I want to see you know those old shows where you see the fucking like samurai or the cowboy or the cop go from town to town mm. like different towns every week and then or a Star Trek you know or a different planet every week then you solve a different uh, a different problem yeah. you know um, I kind of miss that kind of storytelling as well so I that's what I like about the episodicness of it yeah. uh, but it's a, a lot more complex and nuanced than the older shows though, but you know mainly because you know we have different expectations of older audiences and, yeah, and today, sure. mm -hmm. um brilliant series uh, i think you all should should watch it it's on funimation you were saying yeah it's on funimation um there is rumors at the moment that netflix might bring it on 
okay. but we we will see. So uh, for those of you that want to, I don't have a regular place that you get your anime from. Uh, it's currently on Funimation, and I yeah. believe you might be able to find it on Crunchyroll as well. Um, yep. so it's um essentially uh two seasons, well one season and two half seasons, and mm-hmm. um three movies or OVAs like, rather. Involved. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. the fucking term. Yeah, they, I knew there was a term for it. Yeah, OVAs. OVAs. Yeah. Uh, there is a live action movie that yeah. I, I did not watch just because. Oh, dude, I, tr- I tried it a bit. Like, I watched the first 20 minutes of it. It's quite bad. Yeah, I mean, like, you have to understand that even to this day, anime adapta- uh, live action adaptations of anime have mm-hmm. been bad, right? Uh, and when, Generally, like, yeah. yeah. In general, back then, like, um, fans were pretty angry. <laughs> when it came out, uh, you know, because it already it was such a it was such a small uh kind of franchise. Like even mm-hmm. in the anime world, like not that many people kind of like talk about it, uh, yep. as far as I know. And then for them to put out a live action movie that does such a great disservice to to the kind of art that mm. Mushishi is, it was it's a bit sad, uh, honestly. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people get the wrong idea about live action anime. A lot of people think that Hollywood ruins it. Like, to be frank, right, the worst live-action anime adaptations come from Japan. Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> and, and I don't know if it's a, it's a matter of, like, um, the funding or anything of the sort. I, mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, Hollywood doing, like, Ghost in the Shell and all of that, like, has its own, like, issues we, that, that we've kind of talked about before. Um, sure, but at least Ghost in the Shell was, like, watchable. You know? yeah. It wasn't, like, offensively bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I don't think we've gotten... Uh, well, I... When, Bleach was decent, I think. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, the yeah. Bleach live action was decent. I-, I thought it was okay. It was kind of enjoyable. Um, you know, Fullmetal Alchemist was rubbish. So, mm. like, it- it's it's largely misses, and sometimes something very decent scrapes through. But you know, mm-hmm. uh, the live action movie from Mushishi is something that you can skip for sure. Yeah. yeah but oh, please. I want mm-hmm. I yeah. wanted to mention to you also that like Mushishi reminded me a lot of uh, Tales from the Loop. Ah, yeah. Um. Hmm. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, <laughs> like um, it has a very like uh ambiguous sort of mythology to uh-huh. kind of keep the uh the mystery of it also, but it is not too overly concerned with with uh, mythology. It's more concerned with the human condition and how yeah. these particular things interact with you and how it affects you know your family, your love, your life, and and things like that. Right. Uh, um, if feels of the loop were condensed from sixty minutes to twenty minutes, I might have rated it higher. But it, huh. it gives me the same, the same type of relaxed, restrained, uh, thoughtful vibes that uh, Tales from the Loop gave me. Mm, okay, yeah. I mean, seeing that um, after hearing you talk about it, I do see there are kind of like similarities in terms of like tonally, like how mm. it's done. I do wonder if it's possible for Tales of the Loop to actually be condensed into like 20 minutes, though. I, I feel like a lot of the stories were like... could would be better if they were shorter. Mm, yeah, but at the same time, you lose a lot of like the scene chewing and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get what you mean. So maybe not 20 minutes, but maybe like 30 or 40, yeah. not 60. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. Because a lot, a lot of the, not, not to jump into genre equality again, but a lot of the episodes <laughs> could like, could like minus 10 minutes for the better. Yeah, for sure. Like, it, uh, if you just, just trim like 90 seconds of every scene chewing thing that you're doing, right, and we're good. You know, mm-hmm. it just lingers for a bit too long. But I mean, it's some. It's one of the main reasons people like Tales from the Loop, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Uh yeah, so I mean nothing has been I, I honestly had didn't keep up with the manga at all, so I don't know if it's still ongoing. I mm-hmm. should go and check on that uh, as well. I don't think it is though. Yeah. So um it's 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 kind of like self-contained, more or less like, you know, uh I feel like they never wrapped up Ginkgo's story and I don't think there's a need to. If for me, like he still exists somewhere out there in this strange kind of world where the Mushi mm-hmm. live and he's doing his thing. And uh that mm-hmm. that, that brings me peace uh to all of that. Also um uh, I think one of the reasons in the beginning when I first discovered this that I was so taken by it is that the opening sequence, uh the music is by Lucy Rose. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's become a very kind of like uh it's very, very popular. Like it shot Lucy Rose's uh music to fame in, in Japan when the series came out. Mm-hmm. Uh and yeah, uh I mean just you know, two things that I love coming together is just one of those things that, you know, makes me really happy. Awesome. Um Lucy uh sorry, not Lucy Rose. Um, <laughs> um it's uh Phoebe Waller Bridge's sister also does the soundtrack for for Fleabag, Isabel Waller Bridge. So the theme song and all the all the music in it, you know, the mm. choral orchestration you hear in Sintu and all of that, that's all her sister as oh well. Oh my god, the, the choral orchestration is so good and so funny and so well timed. Yeah, um, man. Um excited uh for I hope all you all of you like you know check out all three of these shows. Uh Fleabag, Mushishi, and Share are all available on streaming. This is the wonderful world of uh streaming that we live in right now. They're all available somewhere in any country that you have. Uh yep. if, if it's not, it can just be PN, you know, it's it's the world we live. Uh definitely highly recommended all three. We'll be back in two weeks time yep. uh with more recommendations. We're gonna figure that out soon. Yep. Uh but you know. Can't wait to be back on Behold. And and of course, like if you haven't listened to uh, Genre Equality, our latest episode actually just dropped a few days ago. Huh? Uh, on the first, uh, do check it out as well because we talked uh, about a lot of our favorite season finales, uh, series finales like Star Wars, Clone Wars, and She-Ra and Princesses of Power. We go hard in the paint on Westworld Season 3 <laughs> and, and, and other good shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so till the next time, I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. Uh, goodbye, guys. Bye.